recorded our whole beginning without actually recording it. Uh, okay. Isn't that fun? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now you don't get me burping into the microphone, so I don't know. I mean, I'm disappointed. But yeah. um, anyway, so you are listening to Talk Crooked, the social justice and comedy podcast where two friends laugh, cry, and rage about an unspeakable subject. Sometimes all three at the same time. Yes. <laughs> My name is Kay. I'm Carrie. And we are so happy to be back. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Galentine's Day. Yeah. Happy Galentine's Day for the friends, the lesbians. <laughs> lesbians can have Valentine's Day. Well, they, they can, but it's more fun to say Galentine's Day <laughs> when you're a lesbian. <laughs> okay. Um, so we want to open this episode by saying thank you so much. We've reached almost 100 listens already. 107, I think. Yeah, which is yeah. insane. We're so excited and overwhelmed. Um, Neither one of us thought that that was going to happen. <laughs> never. I thought we would get like five. Yeah. Honestly. But um, and so we wanted to kick off today by um, giving a special thanks to the three people who have left us five star reviews on iTunes. So um, the first one is by Lex Bookie. Um, the title is Love It. I love listening to these ladies chat. The topics so far have been things that I've only discussed in private with close friends, so it's nice to hear them pulling back the veil. Keep up the good work. Thank Just you. Just so Lex awesome. It's so awesome. Yes. It's exactly what we're trying to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the second one is titled Real, Honest, and Relatable. This is a five star review by a- Annie W. A- <laughs> Annie. <laughs> um, it, she's got two A's, two N's. Gotta, gotta let you guys know. Um, <laughs> that's not my usual stutter. <laughs> Um, I've enjoyed listening to this podcast series. Carrie and Kay are very upfront and honest about things that they have personally struggled with in their lives, and that makes their content very relatable. Thanks for creating this. I look forward to listening to more. Smiley face. Yay! Thank you, Annie. My heart is so full. I know. And then we have another one that says, great job! And that's by Kelly7217. Um, I really enjoyed the first episode. Laughed and gasped and couldn't turn it off. Love all the good info at the beginning and the great stories at the end. Can't wait for episode two. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Oh, you guys, it's so exciting. So there's also, um, there have been a few other people who have just left us a rating, which is totally fine. Uh-huh. Uh, you can actually leave as many ratings as you want. So you can actually go in there every day and give us a five stars if you want. And you don't yeah, have please. to leave a review, which is pretty <laughs> cool. Um, all of our reviews so far have been five and four stars. So thank you guys so much. It's so amazing. Um, yeah. And if you're not an Apple person, you can also hop on over to Stitcher because we're on Stitcher now. Um, and That's you can, new as yeah, of this week. And you can, you can leave us a five-star review over there. Um, if you have any criticisms, we would really appreciate it if you guys would just like slide into our DMs or send us an email. Um, just because we're trying to get off the ground here with this and we don't want to, I don't know. We're we're trying to grow and yeah. get better, so uh, you know we just all we ask is that you're kind. Yeah, just be nice. Yeah, we're just trying to have fun and learn and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> also, with us uh, reading these reviews, I want to give a quick shout out to Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet. Huh? <laughs> I um, best podcast right yeah, now. I binged that in three days. It is my love. It's um, Alex and Christine Schaefer. They, um, they're siblings who read one-star reviews and dramatic voices, and it is the best thing. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome for that. 
I listened to it while I was picking up trash out of the backyard. Fun so. times. Yeah. Must have made it better. Uh, yeah. It was cold and rainy, and I got all muddy and wet, and then I had to go pick up groceries. It's it's fine. It was a good but day. That made it it sounds like it was a good day. <laughs> it's a really good day. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what I've even been listening to. Because you stole mine. <laughs> I 100% suggested that to you. I know um, you did. I was. It's just. So, I know it's so good. Yeah. It's so pure. If you like, we listen. We both listen to a lot of dark comedy, and this is just pure comedy. Yeah, it's just gold, and so it was. Re- it's really alleviating. I want to go the full Monty on it. <laughs> Garlic fries. <laughs> Garlic fries. <laughs> um, what did I? Oh, I've been catching up on Jane the Virgin. Oh yeah, lately, which has been beautiful. That show always makes me cry. If you guys are looking for something that's just, I don't know, hilarious and also touches on, like, real-life issues and also, I don't know, I really enjoy that it's about a girl who's trying, she's trying to be a writer and she gets published and then it isn't necessarily a huge success and, like, we only hear about the success story, so it's, I don't know, it's, it, it'll, like, their characters are allowed to mess up, and they're not immediate instant successes at everything, and it's just, it's really beautiful way to look at, like, how to deal with, to see people on TV actually give an example of how to deal with, like, real shit that goes down in life, so, I don't know, I just fucking love that show. Yeah, I stopped watching after a certain episode, I need to watch it again, but I might have a huge crush on Rosario Dawson now. Oh, Yeah. You need to get through into season four, girl. <laughs> oh. oh, if I can. It's that so good. So sad. Girl, it's so good. Yeah. So how um, have you been? I'm good. I'm very sleepy. But I'm really excited about what we're talking about today. Yeah, me too. So today, we are talking about female superheroes yeah. in light of the... Uh, Incredible movie that's about to come out in March, um, March 8th. Yes, March 8th on International Women's Day. Yes! Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel! Brie Larson is going to play Captain Marvel, and then she's going to go kick Thanos' butt! Yes. It's going to be amazing. And then we also have Dark Phoenix coming out as well in June, so that's another incredible one. Um, But anyway, so... Yeah, please go watch them. Please go support badass women. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's another thing that we're going to try and do on our social media and stuff is uh, Kay and I are going to try and make sure that we go to the theater and support thing and support these these movies that um, have to do with either social just, you know, big social justice issues or movies that support strong females or um, have LGBTQ themes and things like that. Just, you know, the progressive stuff that's out there right now. We want to make yeah. sure that the uh, that Hollywood knows that there's an audience for that. So just make sure. I know it's expensive to go to the movies, but when it's for a good cause like that, we want to make sure we're showing the uh, the old white dudes in Hollywood that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that we love this content and they need to make more. Right, and that, um, that a woman can carry a movie and it be a success. Yeah. I think that's important. Or a gay person i really wanted to see bohemian rhapsody i'm really pissed that i didn't I get know. to see it uh, i've got it i've got it on digital i've got that and i've got widows so we'll have <sighs> we're gonna have day. to have a whole weekend yeah where we just lay on on your couch or in your bed and <laughs> just well, watch I have movies a projector that we could watch them on well aren't you fancy mom fancy pants mom finally hooked it up after like having it for three years i'm so excited oh my god karen i know oh she still geez. hasn't listened to this <laughs> but it's fine we have 100 and 
seven listens. Yeah, we don't need it. We well, we need it. it well, we do. I would love for her to listen. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so um, thank you guys so much for supporting us, and I'm excited to get. St- you want to get started? Yeah. All right. Cool. So um, I'm gonna do things a little bit differently today. Um, I know I've done a lot of. Th- this isn't so much of a his of a psychological. We're not profiling a criminal this time around. Yeah. Or it's not a mental di- a mental illness. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. this is this is more history, um, and I really didn't want it to be dry. So um, there's a little bit of my own synthesis of what I learned on Wikipedia because that's honestly the most concise. I mean, this is literally what people write actual books about. Like there yeah. are nonfiction texts <laughs> <laughs> analyzing this topic throughout history, um, and I got really overwhelmed. And so. Um, the more I researched it, honestly, um, the more I found that I don't need to do a deep dive because it's something that I think we've all kind of heard over and over again. So there's there's a lot of um, my own writing in here I've pulled from Wikipedia, and there's also a few articles from um, Wired.com that I'm going to pull from because they were really funny and also really informative. Um, so anyway, I'm just going to dive right in. So um, as I researched this... I found some validation in my love for literature, meaning fiction. Uh-huh. Um, I've always found works of fiction fascinating because the more you study it, and especially the more you study it in a historical context, uh, the more it shows you a truer picture of society than historical records. Um, I don't mean this in the sense of, like, this is what happened when. Um, I mean in that true sociological sense. Um, well, it kind of mirrors what's happening in society at the time exactly um the real beliefs and the core truths of the common person um i found that comic books in particular really reflected the social movements and the changes in our history um so you'll see what i mean so um let's start at the beginning um i'm really not crazy about the way these quote time periods are laid out yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I Did don't love it either. Did you run into that? Yeah, and I don't talk about it. Yeah, I'm not really going to talk about it much either. Yeah. Um, if you Google it, you guys will find it immediately. But anyway, so hey, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this is definitely going to be a bit of a laugh and a rage episode with my <laughs> subject. So um, all I can say is that progress has definitely has definitely been made, but the fight for our equality is far from over. Um, we, as humans, need to make sure that we show up and support these art forms that are used to move us forward. And it just so happens, like we said, that Marvel is releasing two movies driven by powerful females right now. So Dark Phoenix and Captain Marvel. Um, and if you haven't seen Wonder Woman, go fucking watch it. It's amazing. Yeah. Gal Gadot is beautiful. I finally watched Wonder Woman. Like, I've had it for a long time. I get really good deals on digital codes. I'm sorry, um, what? Yeah, I know. But I watched it. I know. And Gal Gadot is She's fantastic beautiful. and beautiful and perfectly cast. Mm-hmm. I, lo- <laughs> I love her so much. Have you seen Kate McKinnon do an impression of her? No. We're going to have to watch that later. It's amazing. Okay. She sounds just like her. I love Kate McKinnon so much. She's just like, oh, hello, yes, I am Gal Gadot. 
<laughs> and everyone, we should go around the table and everyone say one thing they have never told anyone else. <laughs> and they're like, what? And she's like, no, we have to do it. <laughs> she's a beautiful soul. I follow her on Twitter. Uh, one of the only people I follow on Twitter anymore. Um, <laughs> follow her. She stands for amazing things. Um, anyway. So, da, da, da. so Dark Phoenix and Captain Marvel, both of which are the t- are two of the absolute most powerful character characters in the Marvel universe, um, and they happen to be female, which is incredible. Um, I certainly didn't have that when I was growing up, um, and I'm actually excited to have a daughter someday now Aww. because she'll have so many more heroes to look up to as examples than I did. I don't know; it's pretty incredible right now what's happening. Yeah, um, I think we're at a really good spot in society that we can raise children in because, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the way these kids now, like, respond to social issues. Like, they don't, they're not silent about it anymore. Yeah. They fight back. It's wonderful. And Well, because they've grown up in the age of the internet and everybody has a voice. Yeah. Is one thing, and I think. Yeah, and that's, and I mean, it's really good that it really they is. can stand up. It really, really is. Um, I mean, there were a few Disney princesses. I mean, I know I grew up, I was always drawn to female-led movies. Like, The Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite movies forever. Yeah. My Disney princesses were Jasmine. Yeah. And Mulan. They were awesome, but, like, there weren't very many of them. No. Is the problem, and... The cross-dresser and the one who refuses to be a prize for some man. Yeah. I used to walk (laughs) around as, like, a four-year-old and say, I am not a prize to be won. And I had no idea what it meant. (laughs) But I thought it was a wonderful way to leave a room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Disney has gotten so much better, especially, like, since... I think since they released Princess and the Frog and, yeah. like, Tangled and, I mean, they've done... the What was the first one that they did that was live action? Maleficent, I think? Yeah, it was Maleficent and then Cinderella. And then Cinderella. Yeah. They're really rewriting the whole notion of true love and yeah. all of that. Because it was very, I don't know, when we were growing up, it was very much... That Disney love of, oh, we met, and five minutes later, we're going to get married, which is really hilarious and frozen. Oh, yeah. When she's like, you can't marry someone you just met. There's a second one coming out. I know. I saw the trailer last night. It looks amazing. Um, I watched the first one at work the other day. It's so good. So good. Yeah. I loved that one so much. I loved that the act of true love wasn't a romantic wasn't romantic love. Well, I'm, it was it, sisterly. Yeah, and you see that Maleficent too. Like yeah. Maleficent ended up loving her like her own daughter. It's yeah, it's a mother daughter love and stuff. Yeah. They're redefining what what they've perpetuated, and I just think that's beautiful. Disney might be a very flawed company, but what they're doing right now in in cinematography is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um. Uh, we need to, like I said earlier, we need to make sure that they keep making movies like this by showing up at the box office and showing Hollywood that movies led by women can make money. Uh, the same way that we all showed up, sh- the same way that we all showed Marvel that a rated R superhero movie can break box office records. Yes. With Deadpool. Um, because comic book movies are not just for kids. You know? Yeah. Um. That always pisses me off when people are like, oh, that's a kid's movie. Have I'm you sorry, watched what? Deadpool? 
<laughs> what really made me laugh is when people would come in and be like, well, my kid's really into the comic book. And I'd be like, the comic book's exactly the same as the movie. Yeah. Just because it's pictures don't mean it's for kids. Oh. You read Watchmen? Shit dark. Um, so, anyway. Um, we are in a golden age of female acting roles. And we need to support the incredible women who are making this possible with their bravery. So just make sure we show up. Yeah, and there's this one movie that just came out, and it's got the main girl from Jane the Virgin. It's called Miss Bala. Yes! Yeah, we need to watch that. Yeah, and it's only been in theaters for two weeks because it was silently released. Like, I saw one preview for it I don't it on understand YouTube. that. And it's probably because she's Hispanic. I mean, it's yeah. just so stupid. Mm-hmm. Gina Rodriguez is a beautiful human, and everyone should follow her on Instagram as well. Yeah. And she posts amazing things about, like, actresses of color who, and then she'll, she'll post these big, like, long paragraphs about all of their accomplishments and things like that, and she supports the Me Too movement, and she's an, she's incredible. I love her so much. I wish that, I wish we could have gone. Yeah, I know. But we were so busy. We're, we're still in the learning phase of this whole thing, so... It just didn't happen, but we're getting there. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna buy it. I'm probably <laughs> gonna buy it. Yeah. Um. So anyway, on to history. Back to where it all began. <laughs> dun dun. Oh shit! I hit my mic. Dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, we all know the drill with our history as females. Um, comic books became popular in the 1940s through the 50s, and in this time, we experienced a major sh- social shift. Um, before the war, women were typically portrayed in secondary roles that weren't instrumental to the plot. Yep. <laughs> um, quote, with some examples being classified as career girls, romance story heroines, or lively teenagers. Career-oriented girls included such characters as Nellie the nurse, Tessie the typist, and Millie the model, each of whom appeared in comic books working jobs that non-wartime women of the era typically worked. However, female costumed crime fighters were among the early comics characters. Um, one of the comics' earliest female superheroes appeared in newspaper scripts. The Invisible Scarlet O'Neil by Russell Stamm. I'm sorry, I'm going to get super feminist right here. Of course she's fucking invisible. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, is that super snooty of me? Like... No. Of course she's fucking invisible. <laughs> yeah, because why spend time drawing her? Oh, my God. <sighs> um, it was just the, easy, and it was something quick oh, to get Oh, it's so out. stupid. Um, yeah. The tough fighting Miss Fury de- debuted in the epitomous comic strip by, f- by a female cartoonist, which is pretty cool, uh-huh. named, I think her name is Tarpe. I think that's how you say it. Tarpe Mills in 1941. Female cartoonist in 1941, high five to her. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's incredible. She's my new hero. Um, one publisher in particular, Fiction House, um, featured several progressive heroines, such as the jungle queen Sheena, whose sex appeal is what helped launch her comic series, because she was very scantily clad in animal skins and such. Yeah, um, not surprised by that either. No. And... <laughs> Guess who the readership was there? Uh-huh. One woman out of Um As Trina Robbins in the Great Woman Superheroes, w- the Great Ro- Woman Superheroes wrote, um, 
Most of Fiction House's pulp-style action stories either starred or featured strong, beautiful, competent heroines, which is awesome. Um, they were a war. They were war nurses, aviatrixes. I don't know what that means. Uh, I think that means female pilots, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's a weird word. Uh, there's some problematic terminology in this quote, and I'm pro- I'm sorry. Uh, the next one's coming up. Uh, girl detectives, otherwise known as detectives. Detectives. <laughs> she was a woman cop. <laughs> Counter spies and animal skin clad jungle queens, and they were in command. Guns blazing, daggers unsheathed, sword in hand, they leapt across the pages, ready to take on any villain, and they did not need rescuing. <laughs> yes, queens. Have you heard Reese Witherspoon's um, little speech about what do we do now? No. Oh my god. I'm gonna have to show that to you, because yeah, she we'll talks. that up later. Yeah, she wins. Um, she wins this award, and she, like, her speech is all about, you know, I love characters that aren't like, what do we do now? It's because females are never like, what do we do now? It's okay. Here's what we're going to do now. Yes, it's not <laughs> like we're scared and need someone to save us. It's I don't know. It was just it was very powerful. She's That's what incredible. made me love her. Um. So at the end of the fifties. However, there was a clench from the tight asses of the men in power <laughs> who didn't like the change. Shocker. Yeah. Um, to, re- to um, quote, return to traditional values and gender roles. I feel like I'm reading a transcript of The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> um, so... This would continue to be a back-and-forth battle, um, and I'm not going to go into all of it. I'm not going to go through all the different ages, because we all know what happened. I mean, it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, um, really up until the 90s. Um, So I'm just going to skip all that bullshit (laughs) so that we can keep all of our rage under control. Yeah. (laughs) Because it is in the past, and we have. (laughs) Thankfully, we are moving past it. Um, but I did want to point out and shout out to a few series that did help this to happen. So series like the Fantastic Four, Wonder Woman, and X-Men were particularly integral to pushing the even footing of female and male heroes, um, especially X-Men. Yeah. Uh, I think the first one, Fantastic Four is credited because Invisible Woman was one of the first women, was oh. one of the first female superheroes. Okay. Uh, of course, again, she's fucking invisible. Um but then um, X-Men, especially because when you can, when, when it's not down to brute strength on a mm-hmm. battlefield, when it's about, it's, which is what we run into with Harry Potter as well. Yeah. That's why the women are all equally, equal fighters. It's not down to like brute strength. Uh-huh. It's down to um, ability with magic. Same with mutants. It's down to a superpower. It's down yeah. to your abilities or whatever. It's not down to who can punch the hardest. You know what not I'm saying? Not my daughter, you bitch. Right? <laughs> Exactly. So um, we had Jean Grey. In particular, we had Storm, who is not only female, but she's black. Um, That was huge. She was the first black female superhero. Um, And she's fucking badass. She's always been one of my favorite characters. Um, Yeah, that that series is incredibly progressive as well, because it doesn't deal with good and evil. It's about the gray area, which is really incredible. So that really helps. It, It... I feel like X-Men really helps 
really reflects more than anything yeah because our societal issues yeah um, the world isn't black and white no. it's completely gray i mean you just have to gene gray <laughs> <laughs> uh you just kind of have to pick and choose i mean what battles you're willing to fight and what you're well there's that and it's also about like um it's not good and evil it's this approach versus this approach yeah you know it's mm-hmm. just and Each both are valid cons. yeah and both are also not valid it's just it's it's really really interesting it's a very deep series i love it so much so um we're gonna move on from history because mm-hmm. we all know it yeah y'all can google it and maybe later we'll go into it more in depth but with this particular episode i just was feeling really uninspired when it come to that came to that so we're just going to talk about it in modern times sounds good to me we're gonna put up our rosy uh, rosy the riveter arms <laughs> And hold hands. <laughs> um, so feminism in comics. Um, the enforcement of gender roles within comics continued well past the 1950s. Uh, the roles of women in comics during this 1960s and 70s shifted to become more diverse and began to extend past traditional roles as a result of the civil rights movement, the second wave of feminism, and the sexual revolution when more women in society were taking on predominantly male professions and advocating for social rights. Yeah, because, I mean, once World War II happened and, like, all of our men had to be sent off, I mean, women were going to work and doing what the men were doing, and when the men came back and wanted their jobs back, they wanted all the women to just go back home. And they, I mean, you can't do that after after that huge of a shift. Mm -hmm. That's something that comes up in Downton. On Downton Abbey a lot, like because yeah. you you see the um, the start of World War One, and then all of the all of them are helping and they're running their home as a convalescent hospital and all this stuff. And then mm-hmm. after the war's over, the dad like wants everything to go back to normal, and the mom's like, "Well, I mean, I felt useful. Like, I can't go back to just knitting and doing needlepoint and like, yeah, I, I felt like I had a purpose. I don't, I don't want to go back to that now. And so it's just it's incredible the difference that a couple of years even makes yeah like that um so the 1970s were a time in comics and other mainstream media in which females and superheroines were quote playing with the boys unquote and had stronger a stronger prevalence in traditionally male-dominated roles hells yeah um (laughs) however at the same time they were still limited to maternal roles of course they were. More familiar to a male-dominated no, comic book universe, centered around females as caregivers or love interests. Uh, prominent superheroines were introduced during this time period in comics were uh, Spider-Woman, Ms. Marvel, The Cat, and Valkyrie, which we just who we just encountered in um, Thor, yeah. Ragnarok. She was amazing. I hope she comes back. <laughs> we didn't see her dead. So yeah. I hope <laughs> I hope she's coming back because she was amazing. Yeah. I love anyone who's an aggressive alcoholic and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> Shout out to Jessica Jones. Go watch that on Netflix. Um, love that show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's true crime meets superheroes, and it just makes me so happy because she's a PI who just happens to have superhuman strength. It's amazing. I loved it. Anyway. Um, so despite the industry's historically and culturi- culturally, I can't read anymore, um, historically and culturally backed creation of a male-dominated market, there has been an increase in female readership. 
as well as an influx in convention attendance deemed to be largely female, meaning Comic-Cons and things like that, because cosplay is the shit. It is, and it makes you feel fucking powerful. Yes! I wish I had the time and the patience. I have one costume that I could cosplay the shit out of, and it's my my Black Widow costume. Nice. Because she is my hero. I Um, would love to see a Black Widow movie. I would, too. I don't know. They would have to really do it justice. Yeah. That you got a lot of her backstory in, what, Age Ultron? of Ultron? Yeah. yeah. So good. It reminded me of Red Sparrow a lot. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, I could totally picture her as a Red Sparrow. Oh, my God. Um. So, in addition to historical censor- historical censorship, the male domination of comic book culture has been self-perpetuating. The view that fe- that comic book reading was a hobby strictly for males created a hostile environment for the female comic book reader. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened with games. Like yes. video games as well. Yep. Women that read comics were often viewed as, quote, doing womanhood wrong, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what? How do you do womanhood wrong? By reading a fucking book? Fuck off. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, Or as individuals that, quote, read comics wrong. I'm sorry, do you mean from another perspective? As someone who can look at a picture of a woman whose boobs would literally be falling out of her jacket and say no one fights with their jacket unzipped to their belly button? Yeah. How is she fighting in nothing but a corset and a thong? <laughs> and stilettos. She, yeah, she would die so fast. So anyway, I that made me think of this. In my research, I came across this reference to this website. I think it's been shut down now. Like, I think the people just stopped doing it. <laughs> but there's this website. I think it's called the Hawkeye Initiative. Oh, no. Or something like that. <laughs> And what they do is, oh my god, I can't even. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of the pictures I saw. So they'll take a picture of a female superhero from a comic book uh-huh. who's drawn in just the most ridiculous pose. And then they'll draw Hawkeye in that pose. Oh no! Instead. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one where like... This girl, it was like, it was an image like from the back uh-huh. and she was squatting down really low because she was picking up a, cr- a clue or yeah. whatever. And she was in six inch stiletto heels and s- pants so tight they went on entirely up her entire butt. Oh my God. Yeah. And so they drew Hawkeye in the same heels and, <laughs> and pants and they were like, oh my butt. <laughs> and then there were other comments around it that said, of course, seven inch heels who wouldn't fight well in this and stuff like that. oh my god <laughs> so funny it's so funny oh my god it's really good you guys should google it it's hilarious um but it makes a statement you know yeah that, like i mean if you think it's too suggestive picture hawkeye in that pose yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so this led to a cyclical pattern of hostility towards females in the comic book audience. Um, author Douglas Wolk states, quote, I remember seeing a Marvel sales plan 
Sometime in the early 90s, a huge document, several hundred pages long. Near the back, oh God, a little section labeled, quote, female readers, end quote, listed the two titles Marvel published for half of their potential audience. You want to hear the titles? I don't know. There's two. I don't know if I'm ready. And they're very similar. Go ahead. Are you ready to throw up? I don't know. Yeah. Barbie. And Barbie fashion. Excuse me? (laughs) Excuse me, what? And then I'll throw up everywhere. Yeah. There was some really troubling covers that I saw from back in the 40s of, like, this series called Ginger the Typical Teenager. And it was this, like, giant-eyed, redheaded chick in a history classroom. And her teacher was saying, can you tell us something... Incre- or something of significance in history and she said the teachers like in a super naughty like way and it was called the typical teenage girl and i was just like oh my god seriously? no that's perpetuating some stuff that's very gross it's let's not do so that. wrong it just also perpetuates the boy crazy thing and just yeah. oh my god it's just bad just one-dimensional <laughs> just my boys oh <laughs> So, um, in the 1980s, there was a shift in the way comics were written. Instead of treating each issue of a comic as if it were the reader's first issue, or an on-ramp, as it had been done previously, comics began to be written in a way that demanded continuous readership from the beginning of a series in order for the plot to be understood. Oh, really? It is possible that this may have led to a further decline in female readership as the female readers that might have tried to start during this era would find themselves confused and lost. Well, I'm confused and lost even now. Like, there's... There's so much. Yeah. People get killed off, and then they get brought back. And, I mean, I'm not shitting on comic books. I love these stories. I am Marvel to my core. But, I don't know. It almost seems like they're trying to discourage... I mean, I I don't know. Maybe it was just a subconscious thing that happened because they were trying to deepen a plot. You never know. You know what I'm saying? But it definitely seems to be something that kind of, I don't know, mitigated it in a way. Have you seen the new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? No, I want to so bad. It's so fucking good. When did you see it? Um, I saw it in December, I think. A friend of mine is, like, obsessed with Spider-Man, and she really wanted to go see it. And she wanted her friends to go see it with her, so we went. And I fell I bet in it's love. amazing. Yeah. I love Miles Morales. I mean, he is... He's so cute. Yeah, he is black and he's Hispanic. Yeah. And I would love to, like, go back and read the comic book That's series. That's and like. That's a new one. Okay. Like, I would love to go back and, like, but read it from Peter, like, starting from with Peter, Peter Parker. Parker and doing all that. But that- You can get them online. I think The Amazing Spider-Man's free. Okay. You just download them. Or Josh has them, probably. Okay. Anyway. Um, Nick Miller is adult Spider-Man, and I love him. Well, He's also, so John funny. Mulaney is Spider-Ham. Oh, my God. What? Yes. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> John Mulaney. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> it's got a great cast. Oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's so I want to see it so bad. Um, yeah, I'm buying it. Oh, 100%. I'm I just going to buy it. I'm not even yeah. going to. I might oh, even like just go buy it from the store and like not just get the digital copy. Like. Yeah, like I'm going to buy it. Um, so anyway, that leads us into our next segue. 
Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers, a superhero who has been known as Ms. Marvel, Binary, and Captain Marvel, is one of Marvel's most popular female superheroes and has been considered a feminist icon. She is considered one of the strongest superheroes created by Marvel, which is incredible. See, I don't know anything about her, and I'm really excited to see this movie. Me neither. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil anything. I don't want to give like too much of her backstory or anything like that. Um, I'm just gonna delve into a few kind of silly things in her background that kind of led up to her creation of a character uh, that I encar- that I encountered, and then I'm gonna read an article. Of um, from the Wired that I found that deals with the superheroes that I grew up with. Um, so, anyway. Uh, before Captain Marvel was Captain Marvel, someone else was Captain Marvel. And that someone else was a dude. Oh, really? Yes. And someone else was Captain Marvel before him, too. Apparently. Um, the nominatively deterministic history of Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, Earth pilot with alien superhero powers, hero of a Marvel movie coming out in March, in fact, is also the history of women superheroes and how comic books have changed over the past 80 years, which is incredible. Have it's we so said that cute. It's I love March? this article so much. So <laughs> armor up. Let's get to it. It's awesome. So... Uh, when Marvel Comics introduced Carol Danvers in 1968, she was a supporting character in the publisher's book Captain Marvel, which was about an alien soldier named Marvel. Really? It's very Superman-like, isn't it? Yeah. Kal-El, or whatever. And it's very on the nose. <laughs> um, who protects Earth with what is essentially an augmented Superman power set. Um, fight, flight, durability, strength, and so on. Mm-hmm. They got into a bit of a lawsuit. I'm sure. Marvel and DC did. Um, another wrinkle. Uh, this, isn't Cap- this Captain Marvel isn't DC Comics' Captain Marvel. Which also had an augmented Superman power set, but was actually a plucky orphan. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm sorry. <laughs> a They're making orphan. this movie too. They're making this movie too. Oh, oh my god, that's gonna be fun. Oh, it's so funny. Um, <laughs> this was actually a plucky orphan named Billy Batson, gifted with magic powers by a wizard. When Billy said the word Shazam, an acronym for the abilities of Samson, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, Mercury, he was transformed into a strapping, red suited monster fighter. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, uh. Oh my god. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> we gotta go back to Shazam. <laughs> They're making a Shazam movie. <laughs> oh. I know. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. And then there was a lawsuit, and it wasn't great. Um <laughs> Because lawsuits are always they so were, fun. Well, they were, inc- they were <laughs> claiming infringement on Superman. Well, yeah. Um, 
but eventual legal trouble with Marvel Comics resulted decades later in the character being known only as Shazam, which had been the name of the wizard. <laughs> kind of like how Frankenstein yeah, was the name of the doctor. Not the monster. Yeah. Same situation happened. Uh, apparently, the the DC Entertainment's Shazam movie comes out in April. Really? Yes. And as far as I know, he'll... <laughs> It says, and as far as I know, he'll be the only superhero who can't say his own name without losing his powers. <laughs> I'd be so fucking pissed. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, so back to Carol Danvers. Um, let's see. She, she got killed in a Captain Marvel fight, but only comic book killed because she came back in the 70s. Um... It turned out her exposure to the energies of an alien machine called the Psych Magnetron gave her the same powers as Captain Marvel, so she put on a gratuitously revealing version of his costume. Of course she did. What else would she do? And it says here, this is so funny, supermen get bodysuits and armor, and superwomen all too often get bikinis. Yeah, that's accurate. Uh-huh, and took the name of Miss Marvel. <laughs> Which opens up a whole other conversation. Oh, God. And here we go. <laughs> so, the naming of women superheroes is, as T.S. Eliot kind of said, a serious matter. Uh-huh. For years, decades even, women superheroes were often gender-swapped versions of existing male characters. Which I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. They just did that with Thor recently, I believe, in the comic books. They've made Thor into a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and patriarchy didn't stop there. Did Superman have a superwoman? No. Well, yes, but it's complicated. And <laughs> he, ha he had Supergirl. And so, too, we had Batgirl, Hawkgirl, Miss Arrowette, Miss Martian, Marvy Marvel, Spider-Girl, She-Hulk, She-Thing. The naming was uncreative at best. Yeah. And, um... I like this part, um, infantilizing in the worst because oh, yeah. of the use, the overuse of girl and miss. Um, not great. <laughs> um, and then it also, which is really interesting, a major exception is Catwoman. Batman's forever foe and romantic partner. She started out as the cat and then got needlessly specific. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so funny. This article is amazing. But she is beautiful. Anne Hathaway is beautiful as yes, Catwoman. Yes, she was amazing. Catwoman yeah. is, a, is a wonderful character. Yeah. Um, Before Batgirl, there was Batwoman. Okay, this was one that I came across in the history bit in the yeah. 60s. We had Batwoman... She was a secondary character, and her weapons. Oh God. Her weapons included powder puffs, charm bracelets, a compact mirror, a hairnet. That's called accessories. And instead of a utility belt, she had a handbag. Those are called accessories. How does one fight? Someone with a fucking hairnet. I mean, you could choke them, I guess. Throw it, it in their, their face throat, for, like. and then run away? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't understand. Oh, God. I don't it, either. I about closed my computer and gave up after <laughs> I read that. I was just like, are you fucking kidding me right now? 
Um. <laughs> so it wasn't as weird. It wasn't weird to see an honorific in a superhero or villain name. So there was there were Misters, Terrific, Fantastic, Mind, E. So like Mister Fantastic, uh-huh. that kind of thing. Um, and Doctor Strange, Doc Fate, Doctor Octopus, Doctor Midnight, Doctor Manhattan. Um, and in the late in the seventies, Ms. was still in contention. Um, it symbolized that decade's spreading wave of feminism. So much so that it was the name of a whole magazine about feminism. Aww. The very first issue of which featured Wonder Woman on the cover. Love me some Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like the new cultural awareness over the possibilities of pronouns today. Yeah. Which is what we're running into. Um, the idea of an honorific for women that didn't point to their marital status or age was both revolutionary and necessary. So, it is perhaps no accident that Ms. Marvel had a precognitive sixth sense, acquiring superpowers that literally raised her consciousness, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, also, Marvel Comics already had a Marvel, gor- a Marvel girl, Jean Grey, the mutant telepath and telekinetic member of the X-Men, who would eventually become the genocidal, cosmically powerful Phoenix. <laughs> huh. <laughs> um, but, it, um, but Captain Marvel was... A big deal because she was one of the first, like, super powerful females who wasn't also a tortured monster, (laughs) like, under the surface. (laughs) So, um, that was pretty awesome. So, we're going to go make sure we go out and support Captain Marvel. Yeah. Which is really amazing. Um, and I'm just going to finish with the closing of this, which is, she's an inspiration. Not just to all of the fans, but inside the canon. There's another Ms. Marvel now, a young shapeshifter named Kamala Khan, who wears a variant of that kicky black costume I mentioned. Though some reprehensible elements of comics fandoms continue to kvetch about it, I don't know what that word means, um, comics creators and movie makers have increasingly become come to understand that having many different kinds of people tell stories about many different kinds of people expands the audience pool. No shit. And makes the stories broadly better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The arc of the Marvel Universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Aw. And I love that. I love the way they ended that. Yeah, that's a very powerful statement. It is. Today's Um, been a day of powerful statements. It has been. So we're going to dive into something else, which is a really big issue, and then I'm going to wrap up. Um, I'm just going to read this article straight up word for word that I found. Um, So I grew up, um, whereas my husband grew up watching X-Men, and I mean, I watched it a little bit, but um, the big thing in our household was Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, this is what you were talking about earlier. Yes. Um, And as we know lately, there has been a lot of controversy over a certain movie that has come out called The Last Jedi. And there's a lot... I will say this up front. I'm not saying that The Last Jedi was a good movie. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and clarify that. I mean, I liked it. There were good things about it that I liked, and there were also some really, really bad things. Some really pointless things. Uh, Some things that are dishonoring to the Force. But I digress. Um, The title of this article is... Star Wars and the Battle of the Evermore Toxic Fan Culture. 
Oh, boy. I'm going to say real quick that I agree with everything that this person says. It is not to do with the plot of the movie. It is to do with the way that the fans have been reacting to things, which is not appropriate. Yeah. So, uh, this is by Adam Rogers on the wire on Wired.com. Just to make sure I give him credit, I did not write this. But he says some very, very important things. He makes some good points. So, it starts out with some rules of nerddom, which I find heartwarming. <laughs> so, rule number one, a nerd must not harm another nerd or, through inaction, allow a nerd to come to harm. Number two, nerds must cooperate with other nerds except where such cooperation would violate the previous tenant. <laughs> <laughs> number three, nerds must protect the existence of nerddom except where such protection violates the first two tenants. <laughs> Fair enough. So, and I'm again, I'm just going to read word for word from what he says. So I was at Comic-Con International in San Diego in 2008, the year of Twilight and True Blood. I'd never heard of either then. A blind spot, I admit. But that (laughs) year, something changed. Women have always attended SDCC, San Diego Comic-Con, of course. But this year, the lines switch backing outside Hall H, the high altar of the annual nerd pilgrimage, were majority female for the first time I'd ever seen. The difference at the con was palpable. The young men who at the time were the visible bulk of the con were audibly grumbling. Then Kevin Smith took the lectern in in Hall H after the Twilight Fest and spoke truth to powerlessness. What is the matter with you nerds, he said. I'm paraphrasing here. Where else are you going to meet a bunch of girls who also like vampires? You like vampires. Go talk to them. <laughs> Aww. This wasn't about dating. Well, okay, it was a little about dating. But Smith also knew that the nerd world was broader than SDCC's stereotypical attendees would, would have you believe. There have always been in every type of human nerds. And in hopes of diffusing their territoriality... Smith was telling the white boys it was time to acknowledge that. I thought it was going to work. I thought I was seeing the beginning of a profusion of nerddom, both of the canon and the people who could love it together, across spectra of gender and ethnicity. I thought, we are not alone. We are legion, united by honest love into an economic block that gets as much wars, trek, who, Avengers, Halo, Vampires, Ponies, or whatever else we could possibly have hoped. Today, <laughs> when I look at the cast of the various Star Wars movies, at the fact that the new Doctor Who was a woman, at the every kind of rainbow crew on the new Star Trek show, I think, yep, there it is. We did it. But then, in the latest example of how wrong I am, Kelly Marie Tran got hounded off Instagram. Oh. Tran is the actress who played Ro- who plays Rose in Star Wars The Last Jedi. She's a mechanic who, with John Boyega's Finn, embarks on a B-plot side adventure to a casino planet that teaches Finn that he's not just along for the Resistance ride, but is in fact a real rebel, just like Rose. We also get to see some of the class disparities in the Star Wars universe that fuel two-bit fascists like General Hux. A lot of people did not like that B-plot. A lot of people did not like the character of Rose. 
a lot of people did not like The Last Jedi. All of which is fine. People disagree about things. Unfortunately, people, mostly men, though not only, also sling misogynistic racist slop on the internet. Tran apparently got so much of it on her Instagram feed that she quit. So, like, she's not going to be in any more of the movies? Well, she quit Instagram. Oh. I don't know if that means she's not going to be in any more of the movies, but... Daisy Ridley, who plays Ray, quit last year for the same reason. I fucking love Daisy Ridley. Yeah. By the way, she's amazing, and Ray is my fucking hero. Yeah. By the way, it's so I'm so happy that there's a female Jedi at the center. It makes me so, so, so happy. Yeah. And because the only female from the other role from the other movies that had force abilities chose to not use them. Yeah. Though apparently they help her survive in space, but that is not neither here nor there, and that is one of the reasons I did not like the movie. But anyway, <laughs> um, that's not Carrie Fisher's fault. Just saying. And uh, can I just interject here for a second? This same thing happened with Supernatural years ago. They um. They introduced a character who was a female version, basically, of the one of the leads. Um, so, I think her name... She was played by Alana Tall. Mm-hmm. They had to kill her off the show because the fans were so awful to her. I hate it. Yeah. I hate and, it so And, I mean, much. she was such a great character. It's so and, stupid. Yeah. Uh, so, now neither of them gets to have that presence. And their fans don't get to interact with them. When Tran left last, left Last Jedi director Ryan Johnson, himself a target of quite a lot of online rage, <laughs> which I get a little bit more because he actually made the decisions. Yeah. Um, tried to push back against the harassment and distinguish it from critiques of the movie to little avail. So um, here's his tweet that he did, which was on social media: a few unhealthy people can cast a big shadow on the wall. But over the past four years, I've met lots of real fellow Star Wars fans. We like and dislike stuff, but we do it with humor, love, and respect. We are the vast majority. We are having fun and doing just fine. Every long-standing universe in which I'm invested has had its ups and downs. I'm an avid Doctor Who fan. The Matt Smith era? Maybe you loved it. Wasn't my favorite. I'm an avid Star Trek fan. Enterprise? Well, I'm on to Discovery. Want to talk about why? Love to. That's part of what's great about being a nerd. That's one of the f- my favorite things about it, too, about being a part of a fandom is the debate. It's so yeah. much fun. We had one, because I was talking about this at work today. We had a, a tiny little Star Wars debate at work. And it's so much fun, because we do it with love and without malice. Yeah. And we're talking about plot points. You're not talking about the actual people that are playing characters. Yeah, the actresses don't make those decisions, you guys. You can't hound an actress. You can't tell me that every single one of these people would not turn, would would jump at the chance to be in a fucking Star Wars movie, no matter what part they were playing. Yeah. I know this is blasphemous, but I would fucking play Jar Jar Binks if it meant I could be in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. I don't care. You know? I mean, you can't, it's not the actress's fault. The screenwriters and the directors and the producers make the plot of the movie. Yeah, and they took a role. Yeah. They have to make money somehow. It's not the actress. Anyway, so, somehow, though, the reasonable and just expansion 
of these universes to include the kinds of people who never used to get past the turbo lift doors has made a vocal slice of fandom lose its mind. You can find examples from video games to comic books to every other medium imaginable. How does this love at the heart of fandom curdle into something so caustic? These anti-fans see, in new casts and storylines, the agendas of blinkered social justice warriors more interested in diversity quotas and signaling virtue than in making good movies. The new versions come to seem like aggressive critiques of the older work, and by extension, an, ex an existential attack on people who love it. In their minds, critiques of monochrome casting become criticism of people who liked those prior versions, critiques of them, landing at the exact moment they lose perceived centrality in a... <laughs> Sorry, landing at the exact moment they lose perceived centrality in a story they thought they owned. We could apply that to Ghostbusters, mm -hmm. which was fucking awesome. And you guys can all go fuck yourselves. I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I still love the old ones, too. Yeah. People are so mad because they didn't use the original cast. They One of the guys fucking died. They can't use the original cast. And Melissa McCarthy is beautiful and wonderful and is a goddess. So yeah. you can shut the fuck up. Anyway... <laughs> um shit i lost my place oh here we go um those critiques are hard to untangle if you think that ray's facility with a lightsaber and jedi mind tricks happened too fast does that make her a poorly developed character or a mary sue or does it make you sexist if after all you didn't complain about how fast luke skywalker spun his powers too yep I think Luke trained for, like, what, like, a fucking week? Yeah. Jesus. Like, <laughs> he was with Yoda for, like, five minutes. <laughs> um, please don't send me hate mail. I'm, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> one way to answer that question is this. If your opinion makes you say body-shaming things to Kelly Marie Tran on the internet, it's a bad thing. Yeah. Johnson's Last Jedi was explicitly not about being beholden to the rules of the past. I can respect, but it also makes me angry. Um, it's possible to enjoy new things while continuing to love flawed old things. Not just despite those flaws, but because of them. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging weaknesses and re-critiquing older work helps sustain it as an art. That's as true of a Da Vinci sketch as it is of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Even if new Star Wars is somehow corrupted by politics, which I don't think it is, and neither do I, Old Star Wars still exists. Nobody's lovingly plastic-sleeved laser discs of the pre-special edition trilogy melted when The Last Jedi came out. When Donald Glover said that Lando Calrissian's pansexuality included droids, nobody's Thrawn book spontaneously erupted in flames. Yeah. Everyone has the right to opinions about movies. Everyone has a right, I guess, to throw those opinions in the face of the people who make those movies, though it does seem at minimum impolite. Everyone has the, risk, has the right to ask transnational entertainment companies to make the movies they want. And if those companies don't respond, to stop giving the companies money. Yeah. If you don't like it, don't fucking watch it. But harassment, threats, jokes about someone's race or gender? A Jedi would fight someone who did that stuff. The Force binds us all together. Hatred and anger are the ways of the dark side. They may bring power... 
but at a cost. It harms individuals, debases the people who do it, and it breaks the fellowship. In the end, the cost of that power will be powerlessness. Absolutely. Drop the mic, (laughs) and I'm out. That was awesome. I really felt like that needed to be said because I'm so sick and tired of hearing those complaints. I'm sorry. The new Star Wars does not suck because of Rey. There are so many other things that were wrong with that movie. I felt like that was important. That was one that really hit home with me because I didn't honestly grow up with comic books. They were something I came into when I was more in high school. Uh Um, I grew up with Star Wars. That's always been close to my heart. That's one of my tattoos. And it makes me so happy to see... I know that there's a lot wrong with The Last Jedi. Please don't send me angry comments or emails about that. Like, I, we can have that debate privately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me so happy to see, you know, a black stormtrooper and a mm-hmm. female Jedi at the center. And just... It, it, it's just... <sighs> It's about all of us coming together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? People need to see themselves rep- represented. And I'm sorry, but the Star Wars universe is not just about white dudes. Yeah. And I'm sorry if that makes you feel like things are getting pushed in your face. If but it makes you uncomfortable. It doesn't make me uncomfortable, but that's because I'm not a white dude, I feel like. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah. I don't know. A white dude, I should specify. I am white. but <laughs> <laughs> But I am female. And yeah. have been my whole life. <laughs> um, yeah, see, I'm not, like, I'm not the biggest fan of comic books. I have a really hard time reading comics. Like, mm-hmm. I've tried, and it's just, it's not my favorite medium. Like, I even, like, I love Twilight, and I even try the graphic novels of Twilight, and I even had a hard time with that. Yeah, I mean, it's everybody's, and, yeah. everybody has their own thing. Yeah. I can't but, get into anime, but yeah. that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate it for what it's done. Yeah. And, um, like, I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies and the DC movies mm-hmm. and like I'm going to continue watching them except Batman versus Superman that movie yeah. was garbage <laughs> but anyway <laughs> Wonder Woman was the best fucking part of that movie she was pretty awesome oh, and God. it's um it's cool that you bring her up because I'm Segway? going to be talking about her today I'm so excited um, I'm gonna get another drink yeah I'm gonna well I'm gonna kind of talk about her background So, before I get into her background, I need to define a term, and that is egalitarian polyfidelity. So, this is a closed triad. Everyone is in a relationship with one another, and everyone is given equal amounts of attention. Can you say that term one more time? Yeah. Egalitarian polyfidelity. Wow. Yeah. So, it's... Is that that college talk for a three-way relationship? It's the... (laughs) It's the official term. I'm sorry. No, that's just... Sorry, that was a deep friends reference. Oh, it's okay. Um, sorry, it's when Rachel comes in and she's it's she's horny because she's pregnant. Oh. And she comes... She's trying to talk to Joey about it because they're roommates at the time. And she says, I'm finding myself erotically charged. And he goes, <laughs> is that college talk for horny? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So, I'm going to give a quick example of what it's not. Um, I, did you watch Asylum, American Horror Story? Okay. Well. I did watch some of it. I did not make it through because it was like they literally delved into my psyche 
personally and then made a show about all of the things that deeply terrify me to my core. Oh, God. (laughs) So, no, I didn't make it through. Okay. Okay. Well, for the listeners that did watch um, Asylum, okay, so there's a relationship in there. It's Kit and Grace and then Kit and Alma. So, Kit is in a relationship with both women, but they are not in a relationship with each other. That's polyamory, but it's not the kind of polyamory I'm talking about today. So, A is in a relationship with B, A in a a relationship with C, but B and C are not in a relationship. I see. So, it's like a love triangle, but not... Yeah, but no, like, it's not a poly... It's... I gotcha. Yeah. So, um, egalitarian, yeah, yeah, egalitarian polyfidelity is when A is in a relationship with B, and B is in a relationship with C, and C is in a relationship with A. It's circular, yeah. Yeah. It's not a triangle, it's circular. They just did an episode on love triangles on wine and crime, and they defined this. Okay. Yeah. They were talking about how love triangles differ from a love circle. Yeah. This is a circle. Yes. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Love triangle, um... Trying to think how they put it, it was really good. A, a love tri- a triangle, um, somehow symbolizes philosophically symbolizes imbalance because mm-hmm. someone will receive deprivation or be hurt yeah. in some way in that in a love triangle situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas polyamory, which is what you're talking about, everyone receives equal. Yes. Equal treatment. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. So. Um, and usually they're all aware of each other. Yeah. Which is not usually the case in a love triangle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm so, so excited. So the creators of um, Wonder Woman, well, the main creator, his name was Professor Marston. Mm-hmm. And he had a wife who was Elizabeth Marston. And they had a life partner, Olive Byrne. Um, and one of my favorite movies is Prof- – well – <laughs> Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Um, it came out in 2017. It's a beautiful movie. It's on Hulu. Um, We're going to watch it after we record. Yeah. Because I had it here borrowed, and I was going to watch it while I was doing my notes, and then I remembered that Kay was doing Wonder Woman, and I didn't. I wanted to still be able to react. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I bought the movie. I love it. Um, okay. So here's a quote from the movie. Um, how are you going to learn anything at all about life if you refuse to live it? And that's from Elizabeth Marston. Fair um, point, girl. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing that I've kind of lived by in the past few years. You gotta live. Yes. To learn. Um, it's something that helps me through my anxiety a lot. Yeah. So here is a good description of the What movie. if your tombstone read, she sat on her couch? <laughs> That would be so boring. It would be so upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, if behind every great man is a great woman, then Harvard psychologist and inventor Dr. William Moulton Marston has the good fortune of having two. His wife, Elizabeth, and their mutual lover, Olive Byrne. In addition to helping him perfect the lie detector test, the two women also inspire him to create one of the greatest female superheroes of all time. Wait a minute. He created the polygraph test? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm going to get into it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Even but though it can be tricked, but that's amazing. Good for him. You're about to get real upset, though. Oh, no. So don't be too excited. Oh, I'm no. sorry. I hate to burst your bubble, but it, it makes me really sad. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> you um, preemptively burst my bubble. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. Okay. So, um, the women also inspire him to create one of the greatest female superheroes of all time, the beloved comic book character Wonder Woman. Uh, so, one of the big things that he was into was truth. Mm-hmm. Like, that was his goal, was finding truth. That's why Wonder Woman has the lasso of truth. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, he came up with a theory, and it's called disc theory. So, according to Marston, um, there are four um, human, there are four main human emotions, and that is dominance, mm-hmm. inducement, submission, and compliance. And I'm going to explain Sounds it. sexy. <laughs> um, I'm a little turned on right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he is very much a submissive. Um, they, he and his wife and their life partner were into BDSM. That's why there are very heavy <laughs> sexual undertones in Wonder Woman. That's why... There's a lot of bondage in the comics. I actually read something. I came across some stuff. I mean, I couldn't not come across it in my research because she was all over it. Um, yeah. Wonder Woman was. Um, I r- came across quite a few things that said that Wonder Woman's bisexual, even in the yeah. 40s and her origination. And that was part of the movement. That was part of why after he died, like, the uh, the powers that be clinched up and they were like, nope, yep. make her normal. And they took away just, her powers. Yeah, it was yeah. really bad. Yeah. Because they were like, she she needs to be more traditional, and but we can't have women thinking this is okay, and yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. She's my hero. I love Wonder Woman. I never <laughs> really liked her until this movie came out, and I actually learned about her. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to explain his theory the way the movie explains it, because it makes it really easy to understand. Fair enough. Okay, so all human relationships break down into the interplay between these human emotions. People are most happy when they are submissive to a loving authority. It is imperative that a person submits to an authority willingly that it is their idea. We get in trouble when people are forced into something they don't want to do, which is compliance. People who simply comply instead of submit are unhappy and repressed, which can lead to resentment. Taken to its extreme, this can lead to crime and war. To avoid compliance, you must use inducement. Inducement is seducing someone to your way of thinking, dominating them completely. Dominating them so completely that what you want is what they want, and they love giving it to you. Hmm. Yeah. So that Interesting. is... Interesting. Yeah, that's his form of disc theory. Um, he developed this theory by studying real people, student life in particular. Unlike many psychologists of the time, he was more interested in the behavior of the general population of people rather than abnormal psychology. Um, hmm. He gained the attention of the federal government for his research. He also sought the attention of the courts and the public by publishing widely and seeking publicity. Following the Lindenberg, or the Lindbergh kidnapping in the 1930s, Marston offered his services to the Lindbergh family. Um, really? Yeah. I didn't want to look too much into that because I might like want to do a story on it. Sometime. Yeah, that is a multi-layered and multifaceted case. Yeah, <sighs> that we could probably do three episodes <laughs> on to be from the perspectives of all involved. Oh boy, it's it's a lot. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of it. Like I didn't want to look too much into it because I want to like be able to come to it with an open mind. That's insane that he was involved in that. Man, yeah. it's so crazy how people like. 
just like cameo appears throughout history like that. Yeah, I know. You wouldn't think that they would be interacting at the same time, but like things would crisscross like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Anne Frank and Martin Luther King Jr. and somebody else were born in the same year and they were all like really big figures in history. But never. Yeah. That's so nuts. Yeah. History's time is crazy. a flat circle yeah <laughs> <laughs> as we learned in the haunting of hill house <laughs> um okay so in the early 20s marston's work continued to be significant in the courts and legal system however it evolved in 1924 when he first studied the concepts of will and a person's sense of power and their effect on personality and human behavior mm, his wow. work in- yeah um he was really into a lot of things like yeah it sounds like know, he had his re- hands in a lot of pies yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> His fingers were in a lot of places. They were. <laughs> Apparently, he was a huge flirt. Like, always. Have you seen the guy that plays him? Yeah. He's, he's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get into that in a minute, too. Um, okay. So his work in consciousness, colors, primary emotions, and bodily symptoms also contributed greatly to the field of psychology. Marston's Emotions of Normal People was published in 1928, which formally presented his findings. The Emotions of Normal People? Yeah. It's actually, <laughs> I thought about, like, getting it and reading some of it, because y- you can get it for free. But I'm sorry, on. who's fucking normal? Well, like, he meant, like, he meant the general population. Oh, okay. Yeah, not just abnormal psychology. So, not people with, like, extreme mental illness, I guess. Yeah. Like, with, like, schizophrenia and stuff. Okay, yeah. Okay, I gotcha. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Where's he finding his subjects? <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, it's in the 1920s and 30s. Yeah. so it's in, It was in, in a more innocent time. Yeah. They didn't know a whole lot yet. Um, he published a second book, Integrative Psychology, in 1931. So, uh, this came by design from Marston's research for the measurements of the energy of behavior and consciousness. Marston did not develop an assessment or test from his model, although others later did. Um, and disc theory now is completely different, and I'm going to get into that really? too. Mm-hmm. Is hmm. a 100%. You're right. We change. did kind of switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a reverse episode. I kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So he did, however, apply his model and theory in the real world when he consulted with Universal Studios in 1930 to help them transition from melodramatic silent pictures to movies with audio. And the need for more natural gestures and facial expression by actors. Gestures. You <laughs> said gestures. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was funny. Wait. Um, he helped. There was a transition that needed. that I never thought about that. Yeah. Have you seen, like, any of the original 1920 Great Gatsby? Gatsby? No. It's so exaggerated. To be honest with you, and this is blasphemous for me to say, as an English major... And an English teacher. I never finished The Great Gatsby. What is wrong with you? It took me two hours. <sighs> Do you want the long, sh- the, the long version or the short version? The short let's, version? Let's not get into it. I have it. a processing disorder, which makes me read well, very, very slowly. So there's well, one enough. thing to make Sorry. you feel super guilty about. <laughs> and then the other thing is that I have a naturally rebellious personality, which means that when someone tells me, read this book, I don't want to do it. <laughs> fair enough but you're missing out i know i need to read it i i liked the movie i don't think i finished the movie either though not on purpose but okay so disc theory now um is like okay 
so it they changed the the different like words so it's now yeah Mm -hmm. it's now dominant influence steadiness and compliant so yeah so um basically what it is now is like companies have their employees take this test so they can figure out where they're gonna thrive and like how they're gonna do i think i took this you did for my job yeah oh okay yeah, so is you it like a personality test? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it the kind that makes you feel like it's looking deep into your soul? No, I took the free version of it and it took me like five minutes. Yeah, it didn't take very long. Yeah. What was your. Did, when, did you read your result? Uh huh. Uh, so. Was um, it super accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little too accurate. Yeah, it didn't take. It doesn't take very long. And then it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Mine kept talking about how much I don't like change and how it's really hard for me to change. That's funny. And I was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> and closed my computer. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm definitely familiar with that. Yeah, so they're, they're the four personality traits. Uh, dominant, influence, steadiness, and compliant. Mm-hmm. What do you think my, my um, order was? Your order? Mm-hmm. Say it again. Dominant, influence, steadiness, and compliant. Oh, I don't know. Okay. I really don't. <laughs> it was... We have not had the conversation about your preferences here. Like, as far as... Like, all I know is that you, you're, you're a BDSM person. We have not had the deeper conversation <laughs> that then extends beyond Hi, that. Yeah, like we did. We have not. <laughs> okay, you know what enough. I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I really, well, don't, I mean, this I really is, don't know. I mean, just in life. Oh well, not necessarily in the bedroom. Well, <laughs> it translates. I don't know. We can cut this out if you want. Um, what is it again? Dom- dominant in influence. Influence. Steadiness. steadiness and compliance. Uh huh. I feel like steadiness was probably up there. You're right. That was the first one. Yeah, I was gonna say if not first, then for sure second. Um. Steadiness, influence, and then I don't know the last two, because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> my first one was steadiness. That was my main personality mm-hmm. trait. Then my secondary was compliant. It was nearly really? tied with steadiness. Yeah. It was nearly tied? Mm-hmm. Okay. My third one um, was influence, and the last one was dominant. Interesting. Yeah. So, from, like, from the main quiz site, like, this is the one where companies actually, like, buy it, and it's, like, a thousand dollars to buy this. Um, taking into Which account- is nothing to a company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Must be nice. Yeah. Uh, taking into account someone's primary, secondary, tertiary, and even absent personality traits. Oh. Allows us to see the unique blend of their disc personality types and how this affects their everyday actions. Personal preferences. What do you mean, oh? Was something absent? Dominant. Ah! I thought so, <laughs> but I didn't want to upset you. <laughs> I said oh that's and then was, kept on that's what I was gonna that's what I was gonna guess but I didn't <laughs> want to make you mad if I was wrong 
god. So, um, okay. <laughs> Moving I'm gonna on. make some inferences over here with my water bottle. Okay, so back to my reading. Back to Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, by understanding someone's um, disc personality blend, we can take proactive steps to placing that person in environments where they'll, where they'll feel uh, comfortable and empowered, approach them in a way that they'll re- act positively, and better understand and predict their actions and reactions in general. Human behavior is complex, yet predictable. I agree. Yes. Um, The DISC personality test, based on Marston's DISC theory, has been used in business and personal applications for over 30 years. I mean, that's what you just said about um, human behavior being complex but predictable. I mean, that just makes me think of the whole profiling division of the FBI. I mean, like, it's 100% predictable, but that shit is not black and white. It is. Oh, no. It is magic mixed with science. I don't know how they come up with all of it. It's crazy. Well, they talk to serial killers. Well, yeah. And okay, so about Marston. Um, he was played by Luke Evans and Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Um, William Moulton Marston was born on May 9th, 19, er, sorry, 1893, and he died on May 2nd, 1947 of lung cancer. Oh. Yeah. Also known by the pen name Charles Moulton, uh, he was an American psychologist, inventor of an early prototype of the lie detector, self-help author, and comic book writer who created the character Wonder Woman. He really was a renaissance man. He was. My goodness. And he was a major feminist. Like, he and his wife both, like, were at the birth control rallies of the time. And wow. Yeah. And that's really interesting because Olive Byrne um, is the daughter of two very well-known feminists of the time. And really? She's, yeah, she's got a really sad story. So, um, yeah, I'll get to it. <laughs> um, so, let's see here. He was inducted into the Comic Book Hall of Fame in 2006. Um, he was educated at Harvard University, graduating, graduating Phi Beta Kappa and receiving his BA in 1915, an LLB in 1918, and a PhD in psychology in 1921. Good God! Yeah, he did that quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, after teaching at an American university... That's a lot of letters after his name. Oh, yeah. Shit! His wife, too. Um, wow. Yeah. So, after teaching at an American university in Washington, D.C., and Tufts University in Medford, Massachusetts, Marston traveled to Universal Studios in California in 1929, where he spent a year as a director of public services. Um, so, he was the creator of the systolic blood pressure test, which became one component of the modern polygraph invented by John Augustus Larson in Berkeley, California. He came up with a blood pressure cuff? What the fuck? Is this guy Leonardo da Vinci? He had great women helping him. Jeez. Yeah. And it sucks because, like, he he published that, and then he and his wife ended up getting fired from the university they were working at because of their relationship with Olive, and someone stole it and made the actual... Oh, no, that's awful. Yeah. Fucking patriarchy, am I right? Yeah. Good God. (laughs) This is definitely a rage episode, y'all. Yeah. I'm so, just going to keep getting drunk over here. <laughs> so, Marston's <'Cause> wife. <laughs> yeah, no. It's rage-inducing. Mm. Not going to lie. 
Uh, so Marston's wife, Elizabeth, suggested a connection between emotion and blood pressure to William, observing that when Olive got mad or excited, her blood pressure seemed to climb. Although Elizabeth is not listed as Marston's collaborator in his early mad work. Mad or excited, huh? Sorry, I've had a lot of champagne. <laughs> You're good. And it's Galentine's Day <laughs> after all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't gotten into those chocolate-covered strawberries yet. No, we're going to save them. We're going to chow down <laughs> after, after we finish recording. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's see here. Although Elizabeth is not listed as his collaborator in his early work, um, others refer directly and indirectly to Elizabeth's own work and on her husband's research. She also appears in a picture taken in his laboratory in the 1920s. Um, Marston set out to commercialize Larson's invention of the polygraph when he subsequently embarked on a career in entertainment and comic book writing and appeared as a salesman in ads for Gillette razors. Gillette. Gillette, sorry. <laughs> I'm also drunk. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, Gillette razors, um, which is interesting because they just did that really powerful mm-hmm. ad. Yeah. Um, which we posted on our Instagram. Yeah. It was uh, a really good commercial. It was. Uh, there were a lot of really disturbing comments underneath of it, though. Not on our Instagram, but just from where I pulled it general, on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. It was not great. Yeah. Um, he used a polygraph motif. From his psychological work, Marston became convinced that women were more honest than men in certain situations and could work faster and more accurately. During his lifetime, uh, he championed the latent abilities and causes of the women of his day. I'm sorry. (laughs) Women can work faster and more accurately, but for fucking 2,000 years we couldn't fucking have jobs? Yeah. I'm gonna flip this table. But that's not (laughs) his fault. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so angry. <laughs> I'm so upset. Oh, this is about to upset you a little bit more. Great. Bring um, it on. I'm maxed out. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a quote from him. Uh, not even girls want to be girls so long as our feminine archetype lacks force, strength, and power. Not wanting to be girls, they don't want to be tender, submissive, peace-loving as good women are. Women's strong qualities have become despised because of uh, their weakness. The obvious remedy is to create a feminine character with all of the strength of Superman plus all the allure of a good and beautiful woman. I saw that quote when I was doing my research. Yeah, that was a good one. Okay, so now on to Elizabeth. She was played by Rebecca Hall. Um, So talented. Yes. I love her. And she's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so Marston was born Sarah Elizabeth Holloway in the Isle of Man and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. Her nickname was Sadie. Um, She received her B.A. in psychology from Mount Holyoke College in 1915 and her L.L.B. from the Boston University School of Law in 1918. Jeez. Yeah, where she was one of three women to graduate from the School of Law that year. Talk about a fucking power couple. Good God. Yeah. And, like, the movie, um, she's trying to get her Ph.D. and, like, they offer to give her one from, like, the sister school of Harvard, but they won't give her one from Harvard. And she's like, I'm doing the same Why? work from the same professors. Because she's a fucking woman? Yeah. Because she had a vagina. Because we can all control that. Yeah. <sighs> okay. You know, have you seen... This is off topic, and we can cut this if you want, but... Have you seen those fucking chants of, like, no means yes? 
I showed that to you in the yeah. Don Oliver video. Yeah. No means yes. Yes means butt Anal. stuff or yeah. something like that. All from fucking Ivy League colleges. Like these are th- these are the people that then grow up to be our politicians. What kind of people are they turning away? That's what I want to know. Yeah. I don't care for it. I don't either. It's very upsetting. Continue. I'm sorry. It's okay. We can totally cut that out if you want. (laughs) No, it's okay. It just made me Um. think of that. Uh, Okay. So she enrolled in the master's degree program at Radliff College while her husband, William, attended the doctoral program in psychology at Harvard, which at that time only enrolled male students. (sighs) It makes me think of hidden figures, too. Yeah. When... The uh, she she goes into the engineering class or whatever, and they're like, "Well, we, I don't know how to educate a woman or something like that." And she's like, I "Reckon it's the same as a man." <laughs> Is this my seat? Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, teach. <laughs> I think we'll be fine if you just do the same thing you've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> I am a fucking human. Oh God, I God. love that movie so much. <laughs> um, so she worked with William on his thesis, which. Uh, concerned the correlation between blood pressure levels and deception. Um, in 1921, Marston received her Master's of Arts from Radcliffe, and William received his PhD from Harvard. We can't. Um, yeah. We can't even. <laughs> but she she was still a badass. She 100% is, and she deserves that fucking degree. Yeah. Ugh. So Marston first gave birth at age 35, then returned to work. During her long career, she indexed the documents of the first they 14... They had a kid? They had four. Oh, shit! Mm-hmm. Yeah. She wow. had two, and Olive had two. Wow! I'm gonna get into that in That's a minute, incredible. too. That's incredible! Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why. It, I guess you just... you. Don't, I don't know. We don't. I don't know a lot about polyamorous relationships, but I wouldn't have thought that... I don't know. I just don't think about it. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. for them. Yeah. Uh, during her long career, she indexed the documents of the first 14 Congresses, lectured on law, ethics, and psychology at American and New York universities, uh, and served as an editor for Encyclopedia Britannica and McCall's. She co-wrote a textbook, Integrative Psychology, with her husband and C. Daly King. She did a stint as a traveling soap saleswoman. Interesting. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same here. Right? <laughs> Um, in 1933, she became the assistant to the chief executive at Metropolitan Life Insurance. Sometime in the late 1920s, Olive, a young woman William had met while teaching at Tufts University, joined the household. Um, she was hired on as a teaching assistant for the mm-hmm. both of them and like helped them um, test the systolic blood pressure test and all that right, good stuff. Right, gotcha. Um, she was a student or she was a, t- you said she t- was a TA? Well, she was a student and then became their became TA. Became a TA. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Marston had two children, Pete and Olive Ann, while Byrne had, or also gave birth to two of William's children, Byrne and Dawn. So they named Aww. their kids after each other. Yeah. I love the name Olive. Yeah. It's so cute and so pretty. And I've always loved the name Olive. All of them have beautiful, like, strong names. Yeah, I know. Um, the Marstons legally adopted all of his boys, but Olive remained a part of the family even after William's death in 1947. Olive stayed home with the children while Marston worked. Continuing at MetLife until she was 65, Elizabeth put all four children through college and burned through medical school and Dawn through law school as well. 
She and Olive continued living together until Olive's death in the late 1980s. Um, both Olive and Elizabeth Marston... Elizabeth outlived everybody? Elizabeth lived to be 100 years old. Oh my gosh, that's so sad! Yeah, she died a month after her 100th birthday. Well, she got her letter from the president then, though, right? I don't know. Everybody who gets to be 100 gets a letter from the president. Did Everyone you know dies right before they <laughs> turn Everybody, 100 yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, everyone's like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> do it, do it right now. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Legally, that's not allowed. <laughs> I mean, they just decide to drop dead. Just. <laughs> they haven't put on their death certificate that they. What were did their 99. kids? Do you know what their kids went on to like? Do, that's probably not important. Uh, well, I mean, one of them um, was a doctor, and the other one was a lawyer. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know about the others. Um, so Olive was the one. Olive was kind of their, the stay-at-home parent. Yeah. And because the the other two were, were career-oriented. Mm-hmm. She did work some. Uh-huh. She wrote for um, a magazine called Family Circle. Interesting. She, yeah. She actually um, wrote under a pen name and interviewed Marston as if she didn't live with him. And, yeah, interviewed him about Wonder Woman. Oh, nice. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm going to get into her here in a minute, too. Um, Well, how could he not create a female superhero with... Oh, Elizabeth wouldn't let him not do that. (laughs) She was like, you can do it, but she has to be a woman. Ah! (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Both Olive and Marston embodied the feminism of the day. So, I mean, you know, there's that career fe- feminism, and mm-hmm. then there's also the stay-at-home feminism. It's both. They're both okay. Yeah. They're both wonderful. Absolutely. Like, And we shouldn't be tearing each other down for either one. No. No, no, no. Especially as mothers. Not that yeah. either of us are mothers, but... Yeah. Um. Okay. We've got enough opposition in the world without tearing each other down. Yeah. We need to unite. So, Olive... Uh, Byrne was delivered by her aunt, Margaret Sanger, to the Byrne family in Corning, New York in 1904. So, and Margaret Sanger, you might know her from feminism classes because she popularized the term birth control, Mm -hmm. opened the first birth control clinic in the U.S., and established the organizations that evolved into Planned Parenthood. Yes, queen. Yes. (laughs) And um, Olive's mom, who is Ethel Byrne, um, was part of birth control activism. She actually ended up going to jail because um, an undercover cop bought one of her um, pamphlets about birth control, and they took her to jail what the because fuck? she was like giving out that information. Yeah, heaven forbid. Yeah, I mean she was she was a badass, but you're gonna see why I don't particularly like her. Is this, who Who are we talking about again? Is this Olive's aunt or Olive's something? Olive's mom. Mom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Olive's aunt was the one that um, coined the term birth control and opened the first birth control clinic mm-hmm. and um, gotcha. established okay. Planned Parenthood, but her mom was also an activist. So she, she fully established Planned Parenthood. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. On behalf of women. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. So, um, 
Two years later, her mother, Ethel Byrne, would drop a two-year-old Byrne and her three-year-old brother, Jack, off at their paternal grandparents' home to escape their abusive father and left. <gasps> oh, shit. That escalated. Yeah. Oh, no. And I think it's awesome that she was able to get away. But I also think it's kind of pointless to drop them off with his parents. Y- yeah. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, there had to be a reason. Why Why wouldn't it be her parents? Yeah, I mean, I don't And I'm understand. sorry, why would they... Es- you're right, like, 100%. Why? W- how is that an escape when yeah. it's his fucking parents? Well, like, she escaped, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. the kids might not have. Um, so, Ethel visited once when Byrne was six. Uh, she was then raised by her grandparents until they died in 1914, when she was sent off to a Catholic orphanage. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And That's 19- so sad. Yeah. In 1917, during um, Ethel Byrne's famous hunger strike, Margaret Sanger came to the orphanage and met Byrne for the first time in the young girl's memory to tell her of her mother and her work. Byrne met her mother for the first time in 10 years when she was 16, and after began occasionally living with Ethel and her lover, Rob Parker. While staying with the... While staying with them, she was exposed to much of Sanger's work, such as Woman and the New Race, The Pivot of Civilization, and the ideas of voluntary motherhood and sexual freedom. Hmm. Um, Byrne entered her freshman year at Tufts University, studying medicine at, or by her mother's bidding. By the end of the school year, she had been initiated into the sorority Alpha Omega. Um, wow, I can't say it. A-O-Pi. <laughs> A-O-Pi. What? Aopi, okay. Yeah, I'm, j- I'm not even going to try. Omega? No. Omicron? Omi- oh, Omicron? shit. I don't yeah. know. Okay. Aopi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I think I have friends that are in that sorority. I don't know Greek things. I don't either. <laughs> uh, she I was not dis- in a sorority. <laughs> Me neither. Um, she had a distinctively androgynous appearance and was known around campus for her connection to Sanger. She worked at Sanger's Clinical Research Bureau over Christmas vacation. So, um, the girl that plays her is Bella Heathcote. So, Byrne met the Marstons in 1925 while she was a senior attending Tufts University. Um, William was her psychology professor, and she ended up, like, becoming his assistant and even took him to her sorority to do some of his research, which she was not supposed to do. But, um, she was instrumental in introducing him to the world of sorority baby parties in which freshman girls are required to dress like babies and are treated like children. I'm sorry, what? It's a form of hazing, I think. They dress like fucking babies? That's disgusting. And treat them like children and, like, spank them and... Okay. Yeah. I'm so glad hazing isn't legally a thing anymore i'm sure it still fucking happens but yeah they were like it used to openly happen and everyone was like fine with it you know like in this air like yeah in this time is what i'm saying now if there is any it's like 100 percent below yeah and well, you I get mean, in trouble if you haze yeah. people and yeah. people find out yeah at which he performed some of his experiments on human reactions to power following her graduation she moved in with the marstons and planned to begin a a doctoral program in psychology, uh, but she ended up dropping out to care for the first of the Holloway's children, um, Moulton Pete Marston. Um, 
the same year William She dropped out of school? Yeah. But, I mean, that's also her choice. It is. I have some theories as to why she probably did that. But Wait, so she, um, you said that she was pursuing medicine because her mom kind of made her? Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense then. Yeah. It probably wasn't her thing, and she was just trying to please her parent. Yeah. Who had abandoned her. Poor thing. Yeah, she had a rough time. Yeah, it sounds like it. It doesn't kill you, makes you stronger, right? Goodness gracious. Exactly. Uh, uh, that same year, William published The Emotions of Normal People, a defense of many sexual taboos, using much of Byrne's original research she had done for her doctorate and dedicated the work to her, Holloway, and two other influential women in his life. Hmm. Um, it received almost no attention from the rest of the academic community other than a review written by Byrne herself under her alternate, alternate name, Olive Richard, in the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology. <laughs> um, that November, she married Marston, wearing wide band bracelets on each arm instead of a ring, <laughs> which is why Wonder Woman has the bands. Nice! Yeah. Uh, and th- from then on, referred to November 21st as Anniversary. In 1931, she had her first son, Vern, and the next year she had her second and final, Dawn. In 1935, both boys were officially adopted by the Marstons. Nice. Um, she probably craved a family as well. Yeah. That's got to be part of it. And she also helped type many of the Wonder Woman scripts. Yeah. And what's really sad... Um, I don't know why. I get a literary vibe from her anyway. That she was more of an intellectual and more of a writer than someone who would have been interested in medicine. I don't know. She yeah. just seems like one of us. I don't know. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. It's a form of escape from yeah. a really awful time. Yeah. So, the three lived together for a number of years, but kept the details of their relationship a secret. They told census I mean, I takers. Bet. Shit. Yeah, they told the census takers that Byrne was Elizabeth's widowed sister-in-law. They told Marston's mother that Byrne was their widowed housekeeper. Uh, Byrne and Marston had two sons together. Da, da, da. Uh, Byrne largely raised the children, and Elizabeth held the most stable career until William established himself with Wonder Woman. Mm. Um, both women... Did she... Qu- wait. Until he established himself with Wonder Did she quit her career after he did that? No, like, she kept... Um, she kept on, but, like, she was the sole breadwinner until he also started bringing Oh, I see what you're saying. That's the yeah. opposite of what I thought you said. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Sorry. No, you're good. It's my fault. <laughs> I'm sleepy. <laughs> it's <Okay>. fine. <laughs> Each woman named one of their children after the other. Vern. Yeah, I think that's so cool. Yeah. Um, Vern named her first son, Vern Holloway Richard, and Elizabeth named their or her daughter, Olive. Mm-hmm. Byrne's mother and brother Ethel and Jack Byrne never approved of Marston. Uh, Byrne told her, "Of course her, not." Yeah. Uh, Byrne told her children that their father was a man named William K. Richard, who died shortly after they were born. The boys were told of their true parentage in 1963. I'm sorry. Wait a second. What? They lied to the kids and told them like they told them like they were telling everybody else that she was widowed, and that their dad was a William. Richard? Oh, no. I get why they had to. I do, too. That's awful. Yeah. But it's really sad that they didn't know until, I mean, like, for the time, yeah. it makes sense that they had to lie. Yeah. But that's so upsetting for the kids. That's so sad. 
That's why. I, that's actually why I was kind of surprised that they had kids because of the time that they were in. They were very progressive yeah. for, for the time. Oh, that yeah. They were so ahead of their time. Like, that's why I was like, oh wow. So you did bring kids into the mix in a time when this was not going to be acceptable. Yeah. yeah. This would be much more acceptable today, I think. I would hope. Yeah. But I don't know, man. That sucks. Those poor kids. Yeah, I know. Poor babies. That must um, have been so confusing. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Why do I look so much like him if he's not if my he's dad? not my dad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh um, man. Um, and I'm gonna finish off with a fun fact. Um, both women had asteroids named after them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, asteroid um one zero two two three four is Olive Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> one zero two three four. <laughs> um, and then. The asteroid uh, one zero one eight thirteen is Elizabeth Marston. Nice. Yeah. And our call to action is go fucking see Captain Marvel. Go see Captain Marvel <laughs> and yeah. Dark Phoenix. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'm excited to watch that movie now. Me too. And watch Wonder Woman. If you haven't watched Wonder Woman, it is beautifully, beautifully done. Gal Gadot plays her so perfectly. I just feel like there's so many other... um. I feel like some someone else may have played her too masculine or too feminine, and she is just such a perfect blend of both. Yeah, she 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 accomplishes what I what I kind of in my own head call the the Hermione complex, which is of being smart and fierce and powerful, but still retaining your femininity at the same time. Yeah, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. she just she she pulls that off so beautifully. She she has this perfect blend of this, of innocence from being brought up on this island with no men and no war and no anything really, mm-hmm. and then this incredible fierceness and drive and power. And it just she's she's very talented. She's a very talented actress. Yeah, and I mean Wonder Woman herself is just such a fascinating blend of like all of the types of feminism because like not only is she the fiercest of the justice league but she's also like the most nurturing yes and i mean i don't know she's just incredible she's such a blend and she's amazing Mm -hmm. (gasps) you ready for a ladies night yes (laughs) i'm ready for a ladies night question and then some dessert yeah i am ready for some some chocolate covered strawberries and some chocolate chip cookie i roll for the number this My week. My dog is freaking out because of the snow right now. Oh, I didn't even know it was snowing. Okay, what was the number? Sorry. Number one. Number one! <laughs> Are you number one? Hammy's my number one. <laughs> Hammy, my number one. I'm going to pull out of the middle this time. Yee. Oh, no. I'm not going to do that. Oh, God. What was it? I want to know. I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> This is a good one. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. If you could get personalized license plates, what would yours say? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Force be with you. There's, there's some version of that. That would be a good one. I don't know. That's probably way too long for a license plate, but... or. One, one with the force. One with force, maybe? Yeah. One with force? Yeah, that would work. I really wanted... I have a rebel symbol on my arm, and I really wanted to get I am one with the force and the force is with me, but it was too big. Aw. It was going to look really silly, so... 
from Rogue One. I wanted that, but yeah. Those were quick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I know this is a little bit more of a rager than a uh, than a funny, (laughs) but um, (laughs) but I think we had fun with it. I I think so too. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really interesting. So I think I learned a lot. Definitely. And um, definitely go check out the new uh, Marvel movies that are coming out. Go check out Captain Marvel and um, and Dark Phoenix and any other that come out in the future. More, th- more than Sorry. that, though, we want you to remember... You are not a monster. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening to Talk Crooked. Check out our Tumblr blog, at Talk Crooked, for sources and photos. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Talk Crooked. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We are currently a self-funded podcast, so if you would like to donate and receive a shout-out on air, please visit us at patreon.com slash talkcrooked. Eventually, we will start doing listener episodes. If you have your personal stories related to our previous episodes, email us at talkcrooked at gmail.com. For business inquiries or sponsorships, email us at carryandkbusiness at gmail.com. Okay, bye.